0: This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. I think the Heat win the series. In seven? Yeah. Butler drives the baseline right. Short jumper's good, and he's fouled. Jimmy Butler, a chance for three. It's the rolling out of bio for a two-hand stop. And bio set a tremendous screen, and then rolled to the bucket and a chance for three. Murray stepped back for the tie of three. No good! Rebound Miami! The Heat have won it. Miami with the win, and the series is tied at
1: one.
2: Boy, oh boy, do we have a series between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. Things tied up. One game apiece entering game three, which is on our airwaves tomorrow. Tune in. For Game 3, Wednesday night, coverage beginning 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on most ESPN radio stations and over on Sirius XM Channel 80. This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornett, sitting in for the guys on what has become a very busy afternoon with talk of Live Golf and the PGA Tour joining forces for the first time. This coming after a year where the two sides split, or rather PGA Tour saw many golfers leave, to go join forces with Live Golf. We're going to be taking your calls, 888-SAY-ESPN, and hearing from a, a widespread panel of experts on this very topic and what it means for golf throughout the next couple of hours. But we keep our attention now on Game 3 of the NBA Finals because, Jordan, it does feel and I'm not trying to simplify things here I don't want to get talked down to like we saw happen in a press conference the other night but it finally feels like Miami found a formula to beat the Denver Nuggets and that really truly comes down to I know Eric Spolscher doesn't want to hear this making Nikola Jokic become a scorer that game on Sunday night He took 28 shots in Game 2. That's more than he took in any other regular season game, and a big difference from Game 1.
3: And it wasn't necessarily how they approached defending the Joker that was the adjustment. They went bigger with Kevin Love, which allowed Jimmy Butler to be on Jamal Murray. But it's how they defended Jamal Murray, so the Heat didn't change much of their coverages at all except for the fact that they blitzed Jamal Murray a little bit more when making him give up the ball in ball screens. And when he gave up that ball quicker when they engaged in ball screen action with the Joker, that would serve as a catalyst to putting Joker in more scoring opportunities. So they weren't defending the Joker differently. They were defending Jamal Murray differently, getting the ball out of his hands, speeding up scoring opportunities for Joker, which he was then elected to go for. So it was nothing that the Heat did defensively saying, let's let Joker score more not be a passer. It was simply, let's defend what they deem the head of the snake, Jamal Murray, the ball-dominant decision-maker. We can stop him a little bit easier than we can stop the greatest player in the world, the Joker. And that domino effect, Courtney, was more than just what I just laid out. It was also a lack of engagement with the complementary pieces, not getting the touches for Denver that they're used to getting. Maybe also a lack of maturity from those pieces as well because that would then affect how they defended on the other end. We saw those blown coverages. We saw that lack of effort on that side. We saw a Miami team gleefully move that basketball to get whatever looks they wanted. So the question becomes to me, what adjustments does this Denver team make? Because, mind you, outside of going six games against the Suns, it's been easy breezy for them. Five-game series versus Minnesota, sweep of the Lakers. What I need to see, fourth quarter, how are you going to finish games? keep in mind the Heat, plus 90 in the fourth quarter in this playoff run. MPJ shot making, three of 17 in the last two games from three. He's one of the best shooters in the world. He's got to be better. Five points in 26 minutes a game ago, he has to be better. But ultimately, the adjustment to the Jamal Murray coverage, how are they going to handle that to be able to spread the ball like Denver's so good at? And, of course, effort, focus, discipline, an elevated physicality from Denver all things I'll be watching for come game 3.
2: Nikola Jokic with a monster stat line in game 2, a 111-108 loss for the Nuggets, but that didn't come before Jokic put up 41 points on 16 of 28 shooting. But he only finished that game with four assists. Of course, we know about how good he is as a passer. We saw it on display throughout the regular season. But for those of us, those of you just tuning in for game one of the NBA Finals, you saw him distributing that ball at a rapid rate. But this isn't lost on the Miami Heat players themselves. Today is media day. They're getting ready for the game down in Miami on Wednesday. Here's Kyle Lowry about... He was talking on NBA and ESPN Radio about the strategy that involves Nikola Jokic.
0: He's a two-time MVP. He can do what he wants. He can score, he can pass. I mean, he literally could do what he wants. So it's like we're, we can't stop what he does. If he wants to score, he's going to score. He wants to pass, he's going to pass. Like, like, you can't make a guy like him do something. He's going to do what the game tells him to do. And if you guys watch him, and we all have been watching him, he sees what the game needs. He sees what this, his team needs. So it's like we can't say, oh, we can make him do this. No, it's not possible. We go out there and we say, all right, we just follow our game plan, whatever our game plan is, and uh, go from there.
2: It's interesting because when he's saying that, I'm going back to, you know, peak LeBron James, in my mind, when, you know, I was covering the Golden State Warriors 16-17, and you're talking about those LeBron Cavs teams, and, and even before that, where you can only hope to slow him, you can not hope to completely eliminate his effectiveness from the game. So that same sort of strategy sounds like what Kyle Lowry's getting at there, that they know one way or another he's going to get his, he's going to affect things in a positive way for the Denver Nuggets. I, I'm just wondering, like, what from your perspective, Jordan, Like, what is the priority then for Miami if we know that the whole situation about him as a scorer is clearly one that the Miami Heat know he can get, whether it's the 27 points he got on 12 shots in game one or the 41 points that he got with a much higher volume in game two. Well, they're conceding
3: that this guy's the greatest player in the world and you're going to not necessarily influence directly if he's going to be scorer or passer. It's what each scenario presents on each possession. What they can control is, hey, we identify that guy who's great, who's a key cog to the operation. Let's tweak what we do with him. That's Jamal Murray. Let's throw Jimmy Butler, more physical, can get over the top of those screens. Let's blitz Jamal Murray so in those deadly pick-and-roll sequences with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, that'll be disrupted a little bit. So Jamal Murray's now giving up that basketball sooner, and now the joker, which we just heard from Kyle Lowry, identifies what a play in a sequence calls for. It's all of a sudden just thrusting him into scoring opportunities. What you've seen the Heat say is, this guy's gonna get his. However he gets it, he's gonna get it. But let's disrupt the sequence of it. So Ramona's question, which I know we're about to hear a second and in a second here, Ramona's question was the right question. Because what, no matter what Spo wants to say, no matter what Kyle Lowry wants to say, they are in a way dictating the way in which the Joker's play in the game. They are initiating him into scoring opportunities. They have in a way eliminated him from being that passer to a degree with how they're defending Jamal Murray.
2: And we know that when Jokic is the facilitator, the Nuggets are at their best. So when you take that away, you get the four assists on the stat line. It's going to... It's like I'm trying to think like what the example would be like of a toy. You know like those you have those kids' toys where it's got the liquid inside and like you push it to one side, one side gets like really thin, there's nothing in it, but like it balloons and bubbles on the other side. I'm probably doing a very poor job of explaining this. But
3: slightly. Yeah, I mean you're great at everything. I don't think this is your forte, right?
2: Okay, here. it's not my forte. The metaphor here I can't <laughs> seem to figure out, but it's like it's like if you have a balloon and And you squeeze it on one side and like the big bubble like pops on the other side and the one side that there's no air in it. But then like you do it to the other side, like there's the bubble transfers itself elsewhere. That's what we're seeing the Nikola Jokic effect to be when you are forcing him to take more shots, trying to limit those opportunities for someone else like Jamal Murray. Eric Spolscher, though, on the other side. Did not really like the way that that was what it was intimating about the Miami Heat potentially, and maybe even not wanting to give away his game plan. I want you to hear from him. This is Eric Spolcher, the head coach of the Miami Heat. This was from Sunday after the game, after they won, mind you, 108, excuse me, 111, 108, saying it's not so simple that it's about just letting Nikola Jokic beat you. Take a listen. This is probably oversimplifying things, but sometimes when teams play against Jokic, you turn him into a scorer, you turn him into a passer, and he controls the game. He only had four assists. tonight. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's the untrained eye that,
3: that says something like that. This guy's an incredible player. Twice in two seasons, he's been the best player on this planet. You can't just say, "Oh, make him a score." That's not how they play. They—they they have so many different actions that just get you compromised. We have to focus on what we do. You know, we try to do things the hard way, um, and he requires you to do many things the hard way. Man, we—he has our full respect.
2: Okay, I—I I think there's a number of things at play here, and I go back to the box score first and foremost. Cause... Just
3: to interrupt really quick, Courtney, I'm really fascinated to hear your response to this because you've been in this position more than anybody in this conversation or listening that Ramona's been in. So I'm really I curious have, to hear how I your, have been, and, how and, you and, feel it, here. and
2: it goes back to the reason I started with the box score is because, all right, what do we see here that like tells you, what's like, the impetus of all of this? Well, it's Nikola Jokic was 16 of 28 and had 41 points on, on 28 shots, and you look at Jamal Murray. When you were talking about blitzing Jamal Murray, 7 of 15 for 18 points, the strategy worked. Sometimes I take a listen to what Eric Spolster said. I remember this perfectly. Back ahead of week five, 2018, when the Minnesota Vikings, a team I used to cover for ESPN's NFL Nation, I now cover the Bears, they were about to play a game against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. And there would had been a situation with Everson Griffin, their pass rusher, at the time, the week before, he took a leave of absence due to mental health concerns. Sure. So there was a notable hole at pass rusher. And I remember this was my second season covering the team, talking with Mike Zimmer at the press conference on the Friday. And I, and I brought up the point about Anthony Barr, who, you know, they had been toying with this idea for the longest time. Anthony Barr, outside linebacker, off-ball linebacker. Make him a pass rusher. Every training camp we'd see it, every year it would never pan out. So I asked him the question about, you know, with a with the, with the notable void of, of your Pro Bowl pass rusher on the right side of the defensive line, is that a situation where you could envision Anthony Barr rushing the passer more, using him on third down to get after the quarterback? And I remember I got my head ripped off, worse than what you heard there with Ramona Shelburne. I got, you know, I, I got taken out in that moment And I had a scout text me from the team, because clearly they all listen, they all read and watch everything, being like, you know the reason he did that, right? And I was like, tell me. He's like, that's exactly what the game plan entails, and the coach doesn't want to have to give away the game plan. As a reporter, I'm doing my damn job asking a question. If you want to take my head off on that, that's, that's your prerogative, but a lot of times... The tone that you get from coaches, that you get from players when there's a, a level of annoyance at a very reasonable question, it's because that's exactly what they're about to do. And they don't want to necessarily give away their game plan. Now, that's a pretty obvious thing. Steve Kerr was on Draymond Green's podcast, Jordan. I believe it was the Sunday night of the game. And he said what Miami did tonight. They they said, let's make Jokic a scorer and take away other people. So you've got the head coach of the Golden State Warriors saying this. It's very obvious that Ramona Shelburne has a trained eye to watch basketball. I just didn't like the tone that came from Eric Spolstra in that moment uh, because you th- you just don't expect it from somebody like him. And whether you're frustrated because that's somehow playing into your game plan or anything else, like there are a lot of smart basketball minds out there. And this is, you know, kind of like opening the door for all these basketball bloggers or people who like think they know everything about the game. Like, look, see, like they pointed it out with the untrained eye, the media watching the game. I think that's neither here nor there. I think that you can read between the lines here there might be something more just about this Miami Heat team that maybe they caught a lucky break or maybe they don't actually think that strategy is going to work for them long-term in this series. Well,
3: and you can't imagine it will because what you've got is two of the best coaches in the NBA. Everybody knows about Coach Spo, and maybe it's just because this team is under-marketed in Denver and why a lot of people don't know about the Joker. There's been a lot of conversation about that, but people are starting to come aware, become aware of who Coach Michael Malone is as well, and he's one heck of an adjustment X and O guy. They're going to make a different adjustment, understanding that they're blitzing those ball screens with Murray, understanding they've elected these Heat to go big to combat the size of Denver. They're going to make a move. It's not going to work unless Michael Porter Jr. starts making more shots. Now I'll add another element of intrigue to Game 3 here as well. Michael Malone was very critical of his group, openly critical of them. I'm not saying there's a correlation here. I'm just reporting the facts because I don't know if uh, A connects to B. But what was notable as well from Denver in that game two loss, you saw three starters, not role players who aren't talked to or deep on the bench guys, three starters for Denver go ahead and exit stage left and not talk to the media post game. Now they might, that might happen in February. That might even happen in early March. That doesn't happen. Courtney, as you well know, in the NBA Finals when the national media is there. KCP, Aaron Gordon, MPJ, nowhere to be found. Now, we do know Coach Malone lit into his guys. These are professionals. I can't imagine that's what influenced them. But what it does speak to to me is dissension from a group when you need to be the most connected. I don't like the vibes. I don't like the energy. I don't like what's coming from Denver. A coach questioning the effort from his group in the Finals, three starters – in the finals, electing not to talk to the media. So, to me, as they head down there to Miami, again going back, they've had a little bit of attrition. They faced a little bit of uh, obstacle in these playoffs going six games with uh, Phoenix. Outside of that, it's been breezy. How do you adjust here? How does this group get connected? Because on the other side is the most fortified team we've seen in these playoffs that have faced, result- that faced obstacles better than any. That is where I look to in this series. What's Denver's mentality as they enter this road game.
2: So the idea of Miami using the blueprint from game two for their blueprint, or game plan in game two as their blueprint, blueprint in game three, is that possible? Because if the defense is going to focus on Jamal Murray and Jokic making the right play, he's the one leading them in scoring, can they do that Again, and expect that they won't win that game. Like I mean, I just I think about all the factors here that were in play for Miami. Kevin Love being inserted into the lineup because Caleb Martin had been dealing with with illness. Miami might get Tyler Hero back for game 3. We don't know one way or the other yet. Like if Miami follows that same plan, can they expect the same result?
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the same thing that Denver uh, came in, I, I guess not Not of course, but what we saw from Game 1 to Game 2 was what Denver did. Denver said, show us other guys that you can beat us. Max Struess was horrible Game 1. Duncan Robinson, horrible Game 1. Caleb Martin, horrible Game 1. So he said, prove to us you can beat us. Now, Mike, M- Michael Malone said it Game 1. He didn't want the looks to be that open, but he'd be lying if he said he didn't want them to have the looks. They got those looks in the game in game two, and Max Truus immediately knocked down those four threes early on went quiet the rest of the game, although he 's always an important piece defensively with positioning how he defends his effort, all those things and Then Duncan Robinson picks up in the fourth quarter with ten critical points so the the adjustment was forced from Denver, and they didn 't make it in game that 's what the finals are all about is so now miami 's going to go in with that same approach. Can Denver counter-adjust? Can Jamal Murray overcome the physical approach defensively from a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's an all-world defender, along with those blitzes early? Can he still find his way to, to space to score it? Or can he distribute it elsewhere besides just Joker in those scoring opportunities? Can they include the lot, the deepest group in these playoffs and all season long in Denver? Can they get everybody involved to have the sum of the whole, which is greater than Miami's, be engaged but it starts with guys like mpj knocking down his shots it starts with the baseline ask of the effort and the physicality matching that of what we're now getting from miami and also to address the tyler hero thing i don't think you touch tyler hero until you absolutely need him they were dead in the water game one without any productive shooting they've got that back i don't know if you mess with that rhythm and i think you start kevin love again because of the jolt he gave you in game two regardless of how kayla barton's feeling
2: all right, Game 3 coming your way tomorrow night. Coverage beginning 7.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN Radio and over on Sirius XM Channel 80. This is Canty and Carlin, Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornett, sitting in for the guys, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up next, back into the big news of the day after the merger of the PGA Tour and Live Golf, what's next for the golf world? And who is the winner in all of this? We're going to discuss that next after Jordan has this word from Omaha Steaks.
3: Father's Day is almost here, and if you're looking for the perfect gift, look no further than Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks, perfectly aged, always tender, and guaranteed delicious. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks They made it easy to put a smile on a big guy's face this summer with hand selected packages. Send over to omahasteaks.com. Use promo code CANTY at checkout and get $30, $30 off your qualifying order. Now for the good stuff. You can choose from a variety of mouth watering packages that include fork tender, bacon wrapped filet mignons, or other gourmet grillables like the air chilled boneless chicken breasts, burgers, jumbo Franks, and many more favorites. Don't forget to save room for dessert. Most gift packages come with four delicious caramel apple tartlets. Is your mouth watering yet? Because mine sure is. Go to omahasteaks.com, use code CANTY at checkout, and get $30 off an unforgettable gift that is guaranteed to make Dad's Day special. Because if there's one thing we know, it's that Dads want steak. And that's omahasteaks.com, promo code CANTY at checkout. Minimum order
0: is required. See site for details
1: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: Canty and Carlin, the
1: podcast. The big breaking news. After over a year in court, that now there's going to be a merger. The DP World Tour, Live Golf, PGA Tour all coming together. Live Golf and the PGA Tour were Auburn and Alabama. There were the Yankees and the Red Sox, and now they're strange bedfellows. This merger, this marriage, it's great for the sport, the right thing to do. There are a lot of people, players and members upset about how this went down, that they were kept in the dark about it.
2: PGA Tour and Live Golf agreed to a shocking merger that we're all still trying to figure out what it all means here on Canty and Carlin. Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornett, sitting in for the guys on this Tuesday afternoon, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining the show, my co-host on Best Week Ever, also, you see him all over the SEC network, Peter Burns and... And Pete, I would know that when well. we had Mark Schlabach on the show earlier today, when I asked him just the natural his first reaction to this, he said it was the most shocking thing he had ever heard throughout his career, and that if he would have heard Nick Saban was leaving Alabama for Auburn, it would have been less shocking. <laughs> Do you align with that?
1: I mean, listen, I, what's up, y'all? I literally been doing so much stuff for NCAA regionals and baseball and college stuff. I'm like, you know what? Today's going to be the day to sleep in. And then I was also thinking, I was like. Today is the day I'm going to kind of like get off social media just a little bit more, and then I get pulled right back in. Like this is this is <laughs> sports succession, right? Like the, like yes. the HBO show. It, it is just chaos. You wouldn't have thought that this got done. Um, and again, it, it, there's winners and losers of this thing, and you know, coming in, Stephen A. Smith talked about it. And at, at the end of the day, if you are just a golf fan, you just want to watch good golf. You want to watch the best players in the world play this was a pretty good day that, that the Saudis and the, and the PGA Tour got together. Um, and if you are Rory McIlroy, if you're Justin Thomas, if you're one of these players that shunned the money, the hundreds of millions of dollars, only to say, hey, the commissioner of our league decided, well, now we have to take that money? Buddy, that's, I can't imagine what that player's meeting. Because the PGA Tour players are meeting with, with leadership right now, As of 4 p.m. Eastern, I would pay a lot of money to be in in that room.
3: PB, what I can't seem to figure out, why the PGA did this now – it's been yeah. one year of complete disinterest from a fan's perspective of Liv. We haven't seen any of the Liv players besides swimming in the money. There have been a ton of them that have been very vocal. I love this. I mean, i.e., following the breadcrumbs with Brooks Kepka, it was like he doesn't seem to be loving what's going on as a Liv guy. I don't know how they were faring financially. It feels like PGA bailed them out in a way. So why did the PGA do this now?
1: Yeah, the only reason why, because you're you're absolutely right, Jordan. This was kind of hospice care for the for live golf, right? Nobody would they couldn't get a great television deal. It wasn't punching through. The Saudis had already started cutting the budget to the tour from from people I had talked to, and all of a sudden the PGA's like, uh, okay, now let's do this. The only thing I can think of is that all of these lawsuits are flying back and forth between each other. That there's something damning at some point in yeah. some of this discovery for probably both sides, right? Like probably for, for the Saudi side and probably for the PGA side and everyone's like, all right, let, let, what are we doing here? Only the lawyers are getting rich. Let's, let's figure this out. And I can't help but think had this other tour started, the Live Tour started and it wasn't Greg Norman at the helm you know, shaking his fist over at the PGA Tour, and they've had a a bad relationship over the the decades, right? Had it not been Greg Norman, we might have started in this location rather than where we're ending right now with a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of people getting rich, and a lot of confusion amongst people that are listening to us right now about what the hell's going on. I just want to watch golf.
2: Peter Burns, co-host of the best week ever. You also see him all over the SEC network. Knee deep right now in baseball. But we have this PGA Tour bomb that was dropped on us today. And that hurt feelings. When you bring that up, it makes me think of Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, John Roth, the loyalists there within the PGA. And it was about two weeks ago that Rory stopped talking about Live Golf. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, I'm trying to go in retrospect and wonder why that was. Maybe he knew this was coming. These three can't be that happy about this Live Golf merger, can they?
1: I mean, unless that there is a way that it gets made up to them, right? Like cash rules, everything around me, cream, get the money, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. I mean, like if, if all of a sudden there is a way that not necessarily Tiger, because we don't know what his career is ever going to be, but that the tour comes back and says, listen, you you took one for the team. I know you're not happy with you. I know I didn't involve you in this, but here's how we're going to help compensate you. I, I, that's the only way I can think that it happened. Um, because a, a lot of those guys were offered money. Tiger was offered three quarters of a billion dollars. I mean, almost a half a billion dollars for Rory McIlroy. That doesn't even sound like, like real, it's Monopoly money, right? But that, those were real dollars and cents that they were offered. And they turned it down for sake of building something different, only to have the tour come out and, and, and their leadership and say, well, we're, we're switching gears right now. So, I mean, again, this, and a lot of people are calling this PGA Tour and Live Golf merging. This is more of PGA in the PIF, which is the the public investment fund for the Saudis merging. Because I'm a firm believer Live Golf goes away, okay? I think Live Golf is merely like a Trojan horse for the Saudis to get into the world of golf. And they wanted to do it. The PGA Tour said, no, we're not interested. They said, okay, fine, we'll start our own tour. Then it became kind of this like you know, Bloods versus Crips of, of of golf. And now that the Saudis have a partnership with the PGA Tour, something that they wanted from day one, I think that they slowly kind of whittle away, quote-unquote, live tour, and then they kind of live under the PGA umbrella.
3: So, Peter, in that vein, staying with the Saudis and, you know, them kind of getting into sport here, for whatever reasons may be uh, serving as the catalyst for them to do so, they're here uh, why yep. would you ever think that it just stops here
1: with the PGA yeah. tour? I, I mean, again, we see it with Newcastle and the English premier league. We see it in racing. We see it in all different types of sports the art world, right? That the, the Saudis have made incredible investments there because they're, they're diversifying their money instead of having just being oil rich. You say, what can we get in and expand our portfolio and in investment uh, opportunities that really are, are well liked and well followed in soccer Racing; these are all. Tennis will be a part of it as well, too. And now golf, being another big one. So, the question is: Is they like international things? I mean, NBA is about a, is international of a sport. Is the NBA going to be next? Does a team just say, "All right, well, I'm in"? Right? Uh, does an NFL squad? I mean, get crazy. And you look at college football. I don't think the Saudis would ever deal with like a certain team or even a certain conference. But what if they came out and said, "You know what? We want to buy the the whole college football playoff entity. We're going to pay X amount of billions of dollars. We'll still do the TV rights, but we we now own it and we'll profit off of it." I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, where does that stop? They have their foothold in there um, now in in into sports more so than they ever have.
2: Peter Burns joins Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornett right here on Canty and Carlin. Brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Jay Monahan, as you just mentioned, 4 p.m. Eastern time, he's meeting with golfers ahead of the Royal RBC Canadian Open. That's up in Canada this weekend. So would love to know what's going on in that meeting. And I would love to know, how can he remain the commissioner of the PGA Tour much longer? It just feels like this one is is the writing on the wall here. it,
1: it, It feels that way, but let's take a step back and think about it. A commissioner is involved of having the health of its league, Right not necessarily sometimes the PR, but the health of its of its league, if it truly felt that it was struggling and it comes back to the table now with this agreement and says, hey, we have billions of extra dollars now. Billions. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, it's a bad look, and the players are going to be upset, rightfully so, But as the commissioner of a tour, they're going to look at it and go, we will never have been as healthy as possible. So it's going to be tough. I know the players, especially that turned down the money, won't have a whole lot of respect for it. But at the end of the day, I mean, it reminds me of, of kind of what's going on with Kevin Warren and the Big Ten. OK, so Kevin Warren went out there and he he sold the the Big Ten television rights for the championship game to a company, and they didn't even have the rights to sell that game. Well, guess what? He goes back and apologizes and says, well, you still like the money you got, right? And everyone's like, well, yeah, we do. OK, so this is kind of a similar situation. Like Monahan's going to get a lot of hell for this. but At the end of the day, he's going to go back to all of his PGA Tour members and go, I know you hate me. But do you hate this? And he, he's going to roll out what this new billions of dollars in funds are going to do for the sport.
2: All right, so we know the next major on the schedule is the U.S. Open and then Liv's next televised event uh, is a tournament that they have in Spain, end of June. TV rights-wise, I, I know these are all moving parts, but what happens from like the viewing standpoint? Because we know nobody was really watching Live Golf. The CW has the rights. But could this be a good thing in terms of TV deals and, and the dollars that will be... Pushed into whatever they want to call this new thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in the in the in the interim, what we'll see, and this is just my guess, is that PGA Tour will remain the PGA Tour. You'll st- you won't have live players playing. The live players are going to stay on the live tour, but this new entity is going to be some fields and some events that have both PGA Tour and live golfers. I mean listen, I saw it just I called the PGA Championships in Rochester for for us at ESPN and I sat there and I went through a bunch of practice rounds with the players and guess who had the biggest crowds? It was Brooks Kepka and, and Dustin Johnson. Yeah. People people wanted to go see Patrick Reed because guess what? Well, you didn't get a chance to see them every week. It was like almost forbidden. Oh my god, these are the live golfers. So mm-hmm. If they still keep it this way, that's why I think the majors have been so intriguing because we get this like, ooh, we get to see this golfer back and we haven't seen him in a while. So, I mean, ultimately, I think it was, a, you know, I think the players like Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy, I think they just found out. Hell, Greg Norman, who was in charge of Live, just found out, which basically means he's on the out. So um, it's a new crazy world of golf. And, um, you know, who, who watches the Golf Channel all day long on a Tuesday? <laughs> I know I have.
3: You ain't ain't the only one. And you ain't the only one today. I mean, between all the coverage is trying to eat it all up as much as possible to wrap our heads around, what is the most shocking news in some time?
2: Yeah. Mm. Well, a win for Mm -hmm. golf fans, though. I think it's the bottom line here. The best golfers in the world will be back together. That's certainly a win for those of us who like to view golf as a spectator. Pete, thanks so much for the time. As always, I will see you on Sunday. See y'all. It's Peter Burns, co-host of the Best Week Ever. You also see him everywhere on the SEC Network. Coming up next, switching gears to the NBA, landing Kyrie Irving would make the Lakers what? Next year in the West. We weigh in right here on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80.
0: This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast.
2: Look at Doncic, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James. Could that potentially be a pairing for the 2023-24 season? Reports are saying that Kyrie Irving is trying to recruit his former Cleveland Cavalier teammate down to the big D, but we shall see if that actually carries any weight because it feels like LeBron's life is pretty firmly rooted out in Los Angeles. This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornett, hanging out with you on this Tuesday afternoon. And when I heard this report... I was not surprised to hear about Kyrie Irving wanting to team up again with LeBron James. I thought that maybe that might have happened already, maybe even at the trade deadline before he was moved out of Brooklyn to Dallas. But the idea that they can coexist is not one that I have. I believe that they can. But LeBron in Dallas, really, Jordan?
3: I mean, no shot, right? I mean, this dude didn't, you know, cultivate this life out on the West Coast, his son, which is one of the most coveted prospects coming out of high school to decide on a college, who ultimately decided on USC, there's no way, as LeBron's made it clear, his plan is you know to play with his son in the league, and he's kind of backed off of that. But there's no way he's going to do all that to then say, yeah, I'm going to go quietly into the night my last few years in Dallas with Kyrie. No way. Beyond that, what what is pretty fascinating to me with this whole thing, Courtney, is isn't that a call in a recruiting pitch that should be coming from Luca. That's Luca's team, right? What does Kyrie even really think he's involved in there? I guess that that might be a, a secondary point, but beyond that there's no way this happens.
2: It's surprising that it's, like, this way and not the other way around with, like, LeBron recruiting Kyrie to join him in L.A. because he can. I mean, he's not locked into being in in Dallas, and if he does end up leaving, then that's the worst trade of all time in NBA history because of what it yielded. But the Mavericks have the option to sign Irving to a max salary and then acquire James if they wanted to. But then that's $134 million that they now would owe to their big three which is $100,000 below the projected salary cap. For a team that we've talked about, man, there's so much money locked up in their are superstars, they can't really afford enough for their core. This is just the same problem recycled in a different form.
3: Yeah, there's there's no element to me where I look at it and go, Kyrie, LeBron, Luka, title. It's clunky to me. It doesn't feel like it would work. And I don't know anybody who'd want to be in the market no matter how great LeBron is at a place, I guess, like Dallas with pieces they already have to say, let's take in the 39-year-old star. Other places may reek of that desperation. Dallas just doesn't seem like one. And on the flip side, if you're L.A., you're not going to go take Kyrie as your point when you can go get a guy like Fred Van Vliet who can answer that call as a creator at the point guard position who anybody who knows anything knows will be way more easy to deal with than a potential Kyrie in L.A. situation.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny because we look back to the trade deadline and Kyrie Irving getting dealt down to Dallas from Brooklyn and kind of like what bind that puts the Mavericks in even if they wanted this to happen because they can only deal their 2023 and 2027 first round pick because the Knicks own their rights to the other 2024 and 2025 first rounder because of the Jalen Brunson thing and then of course Dallas owes its 2029 first round selection to the Nets so it doesn't feel likely even if there are reports out there that Kyrie Irving is trying to push this thing through and make it happen but as we've seen in the NBA, stranger things have certainly happened. You know it's not strange? Chris Canney. He's coming to join the show next. Weigh in on the PGA Live golf merger. Now that's strange.
0: Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on the ESPN radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.